Good morning, friends. We're continuing our series of messages from the book of Philippians today. The message title is called Make a Difference. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now this passage begins with an enormous challenge. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And here we find three key words that unlock the meaning of this phrase. The first is the word only, which doesn't even appear in the uh, New International Version text. But the Greek text begins with the word monos, which means only. Now one writer translates it as just one thing, kind of like Curly in the movie City Slickers holding up his index finger and saying the meaning of life is just one thing. Paul means to say that whether he is set free or dies in jail, there is just one thing he wants the Philippians to know. The second word is worthy, uh, which literally means to even the beam. It refers to balancing the scale so that both sides are even. To live worthy of the gospel means to live so that your life gives proper, proper weight to all that God has done for you. The message translates it this way. Live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. In one of his books, Chuck Colson mentioned seeing a picture of a college demonstrator holding up a sign that read, Nothing is worth dying for. But friends, if nothing is worth dying for, then nothing is worth living for either. The third word is conduct, which means to live as a citizen of heaven. To paraphrase an old question, If you were arrested for being a citizen of heaven, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, true Christians live in such a way that no one can deny their true identity. Now, let me make three brief observations about the first phrase of verse 27. One is this, salvation to be real must change the way we live. And second, unbelievers draw conclusions about Jesus by the way we live. And three, in an increasingly pagan climate, we can make a huge impact by the way we live. Now, this is vastly important for Christians in the 21st century because the surrounding culture has become increasingly hostile to biblical truth. There is almost no middle ground on any issue, moral, spiritual, political, cultural, racial, or educational. This means that only those people who know what they believe and are willing to express it will get a hearing in the marketplace of ideas. When Paul wrote these words, he had no idea if he would ever get out of jail in Rome. He therefore must assume that he might never visit Philippi again. That's why this passage deserves our close attention. It's the just one thing Paul wanted to make clear in case he never saw them in person again. Now here I think we discover four ways you can impact your world for Jesus. Here's impact number one. Stand without division. The text actually says stand firm in one spirit. And that phrase, stand firm, describes a Roman military formation in which the soldiers stood shoulder to shoulder to shoulder and back to back with their shields up and their spears outward. 
It was the strongest possible defensive position. Impacting the world begins as Christians stand together in one spirit. It's like a coach saying to his players, we win together and we lose together. In other words, we are not to divide, and yet we do sometimes over some pretty trivial issues. There are already too many barriers in the body of Christ. Race, skin color, geography, worship styles, mode of baptism, and yes, even denominational affiliation. To make matters worse, we spend far too much time squabbling over secondary issues and not enough time preaching the gospel of Christ. Now, I consider this to be a scandal that, that hinders the work of God. When will we understand that unity makes the gospel beautiful? Jesus promised that all men would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. I often wonder, do we grasp how the world views a divided church? When we say God loves you, unbelievers hear it through the static of our intramural mudslinging. The message that comes through is God loves you, but we hate each other. It's no wonder that they don't want what we have to offer. Now, impact number two is this, strive without compromise. The text says, contending is one man for the faith of the gospel. And I want you to note two words in that phrase. The word contending comes from the Greek, sunotheleo, from which we get the English words athlete and athletic. It's kind of like a running back straining to get the ball across the goal line. We are to exert maximum effort for the sake of the gospel in this world. And this is Paul's offensive game plan. And the second phrase I want you to notice is the faith. Now, when you see the definite article, the, before the word faith, it's almost always refers to the objective side of faith and not our inner belief, but rather the things in which we believe. The faith of the gospel encompasses that great body of Christian truth that includes God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, human nature, sin and salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Now, put these words together and this is what they mean. We're to unitedly join hearts and hands using all resources to spread the gospel by every means possible to every person possible. Now, let me suggest what this implies. It implies that there is a faith we must believe, that faith is worth striving for, that faith must not be compromised, that faith is the basis of our unity, and that faith should be preached in all the earth. This is a call for nothing less than aggressive Christianity. We need this because the world is full of Christians in retreat. We've retreated when we sought we ought to advance. I mean, too many believers have been intimidated and have left the battlefield to the enemy. And as much as anything, this explains the moral crisis in America today. The other side is one because we have surrendered without a fight. God's word to the church is always go forward. And as far as I know, God never told his people to retreat, not ever. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel in Mark 16:15. He called us to go and make disciples in Matthew 28:19. And what are the first two letters of the word gospel? G-O, go. Now, reading the biblical narrative, I note that we do not see the first century Christians wringing their hands in despair and say, look what the world has come to. Instead, they declared, look what has come to the world. It's never been easy to be a Christian. It wasn't then, it isn't now. So blessed are they who are so excited about Jesus that they simply can't keep quiet about it. Here's impact number three, speak without fear. Our text says in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. 
Now, I love the sober realism of these words. Paul does not sugarcoat the truth. You're going to be opposed. Speak up anyway. Some people won't like what you've got to say. Don't let that stop you. See, sooner or later, you run into strong opposition. But so what? Just keep preaching Jesus. If they hated him, they're going to hate us too. That's what John 15:18 says. They crucified him. Can we expect anything better? This verse contains a truth you may have never considered before. It's this, opposition to the gospel reveals spiritual reality. That's the sign of verse 28. When people oppose you for your Christian testimony, you may be sure of two things. One, that you're going to heaven, and two, they're going to hell. Now, don't be put off by the starkness of what I just said here. Uh, That's precisely the meaning of verse 28. Genuine believers are proved genuine by the quality of their opposition. If no one ever criticizes or opposes you, if you never make waves because of your faith, if everyone is happy with your Christian faith all the time, well, then, friends, something is wrong either with your faith or with the people you hang around with. Now, let me state the principle this way. True believers annoy the world because they stand as a rebuke to everything the world stands for. When we say Jesus is the only way, they call us arrogant. If we declare you must be born again, someone is sure to call us a fanatic. If you say the Bible is the word of God, someone else will think you're just some sort of a ignorant hick. If you say, I know I'm going to heaven, you'll be accused of thinking you're better than everyone else. And so it goes. We annoy the world precisely because we are citizens of heaven and live by different principles. Paul's advice is simple. Don't be frightened. The Greek word for frightened refers to a horse spooked by a movement in the bushes. The horse rears up and begins to run away. So don't be surprised when someone criticizes your Christian faith. It happens to all of us sooner or later. When trouble comes, we need calm courage and an unconquerable spirit. We're to speak without fear, knowing that some people won't like what we have to say. Remember that it's better to be the persecuted than the persecutor. This is one instant when it's better to receive than to give. Jesus pronounced the blessing upon those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount. And you can read that in Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. That kind of persecution is a sign that you are a genuine believer. And here's impact number four, sacrifice without shame. The text says in verses 29 to 34, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I hope you notice the two gifts in these verses. There is the gift of faith. This is not only to him, not only to believe in him. And this is the gift that enables us to believe in Jesus in the first place. Without that gift from the Lord, we would never be saved. Then there is the gift of suffering. Did you notice it said we also got this gift to suffer for him? And this is the gift that this is the gift no one wants. Now, would you like to change the world for Jesus? Would you like to be a credit to the gospel? Well, here's this one thing on Paul's heart that we need to remember. You're a citizen of heaven. Live like it. You can impact your world if you will. Stand without division. Strive without compromise. Speak without fear. Sacrifice without shame. And friends, may God help us make a difference for Jesus by the way we live this week. 
Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.